and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I am your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another awesome guest to introduce to you now. Dr. Greg Dennis is a board-certified physician in family medicine. He is also certified in age management medicine. He met his wife, Lydia, who is also a practicing doctor, back in medical school in Kansas. He has now been practicing for almost 14 years. Dr. Dennis recently began to appreciate the harms of the standard model of healthcare and will be making a transition to direct primary care. He has also started a podcast called FitRx, which brings us the latest advice to optimize health and fitness. He practices what he preaches and is a great example of what a healthy life can look like. Dr. Greg Dennis, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So when did you know that you wanted to be a doctor? Well, I wasn't one of the more traditional, um, you know, medical students or pre-med students. Uh, when I say traditional, a lot of the people that go into medicine are, are kind of academic, like my wife was. She was very academic uh, in high school. I was not. Um, you know, I, I preferred having fun and sports and that kind of thing. Uh, even going into college, I was not, uh, I would not have termed myself academic. So it took me a little while to grow up. Um, and, and I started working as an EMT, uh, eventually went on to get my paramedic. And so it was through that that I, uh, obviously, we would go in the emergency room all the time. And I got to talking to all the, the ER doctors and just thought, hey, this looks pretty cool. And, uh, and kind of uh, began uh, making up for lost time, I guess, in, in college. And so um, probably, you know, about the time people are graduating college, 2023, you know, something like that is when I started that journey realizing I wanted to go there and then it took another three or four years after that so I was in my late 20s uh, when I finally started medical school. Wow interesting um, that is a little bit late. What was the reason that you got into I mean what drew you to be a doctor if you were already in the medical field? Yeah just um, I think I wanted to to kind of do more than what I was doing like I said uh, working as an EMT slash paramedic it, it kind of introduced me to the medical field and, and then just getting to know a lot of the uh, emergency room doctors. Uh, I had also befriended an orthopedic surgeon and uh, I just felt like I wanted to do more in my career. Uh, obviously everyone who goes into this is going to sounds kind of cliche, but they're, they're going to say, Oh yeah, I wanted to help people. So of course I wanted to do that. And I just wanted to challenge myself, uh, you know, kind of academically and, and, uh, you know, do more or do as much as I could to, uh, you know, to, to try and help people. Hmm. Love that answer. Did you always know that you wanted to be a family practice, family medicine, I guess? No. Uh, so with my EMT background, I actually went into medical school with the idea of going into emergency medicine. And then once I got into medical school and I started rotating, in, in emergency medicine, I, I just realized that wasn't for me. Um, and for, for various reasons. And, and so that, uh, kind of led me to, to family practice because really in family medicine, you get to do a little bit of everything. And obviously you get to, to know the families and, you know, you get to know the, the kids. And so that's, that's kind of the cool thing about family medicine. I, I even, uh, 
did obstetrics for a little while. So I, I delivered the babies and still to this day, I see uh, a lot of the kids that I delivered, you know, 13 years ago, 14 years ago. And that's still so see cool. Their, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the fun part about family medicine. So I, and I see their parents and then, and then their parents. And, and so that, that's the cool thing about family medicine. Mm. Was the pace any different, like switching between EMT and paramedic to the family practice? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's apples and oranges. Uh, you know, the, I worked in a kind of a small town EMS service. So it was hurry up and wait, you know, we'd sit around, you know, we worked 24 hour shifts like a fire department. And so, you know, you could sit around all day and not do anything and then, you know, be, be really busy for, for a couple hours. And so you just never know. I mean, it's, it's a lot of unknown and it's a lot of, um, of course, getting up in the middle of the night. And I mean, the, the shift work is, is terrible. I, I feel sorry for these, you know, firemen and stuff now. Um, and of course now I'm in a, you know, regular office setting Monday through Friday, although it's busy, but you know, the hours, hours are contained. So yeah, it's just a lot different. Mm, interesting. So that was, let's see, 2007 that you started practicing. Do I have that correct? Yeah, that's when I graduated residency, yes, sir. Gotcha. So you got into the industry to help people, and mm -hmm. you switched over to family medicine and certainly have helped a lot of people. But what did you start to learn about the medical system? Yeah, so that's yeah, a big topic. Um, so when we get started, and I think most people are this way who go into medical school, um, you know, you're, you're taught a certain way to practice. And you know, and, and you don't really question that because why would you, uh, you know, that that's the way they've been doing it for a long time. And, you know, the, the, uh, your, your professors are, are really smart, you know, and so why would you, why would you question this? And so as I graduated residency started, you know, my, my own kind of family practice, I practiced, you know, what we call the standard of care. Okay. Um, or, or, uh, I would also refer to it as evidence-based medicine, which unfortunately has to do with prescribing a lot of medications. And so I'm sure listeners out there can relate. I mean, if you go to the doctor, you're probably going to get a medication. I mean, if, if you have diabetes, you're going to get a medication, high blood pressure. If you're depressed, I mean, whatever, I mean, you're, you're going to get a medication. That's what we do. It was, we prescribe medications. And unfortunately, that's that's how we're taught. And so, you know, the the mark it seems like today of a good doctor is knowing what the right medication is to prescribe. Um, well, over the and I did that. I I did that to the T for for many many years, and I prided myself in you know practicing quote you know evidence based medicine or, or this standard of care, and when patients would, would question me, I would, I would say, I always come back to that. I would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm the doctor, you know, I, I, I practice evidence-based medicine and here's, here's what the studies show. So, so therefore shut up and take this medicine. I didn't say it like that, but I mean, more or less, that's, that's what we're doing. Well, over the years, I, I don't know, it was several years ago. I just, I kind of had an epiphany. I, I had this light bulb moment that, you know what, these patients aren't getting better. And I have a huge panel of patients. I have almost 3,700 patients right now. Wow. Uh, now I'm, I'm leaving this current model. We can talk about that in a minute, but 
Um, I, so, you know, seeing that many patients, um, over the years, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of different, um, obviously prescribed a lot of medicines, seen a lot of different, um, you know, a ton of people with diabetes and all these different chronic diseases that we deal with. And, and one day I just realized, you know, people, these patients aren't getting any better. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And I'm, I'm meeting, uh, all these things that we're supposed to check off the list. And on paper, they, they look a lot better. So they're, cholesterol looks good. Their A1C looks good, which that's a marker for, for blood sugar. Uh, their blood sugar looks good. I mean, you know, every, everything looks good. And and of course they're on all these medicines to, to help with those markers, but the patients are still sick and they're still dying of heart attacks and they're still miserable. They're still obese. They still have arthritis. They still have these autoimmune issues. And, so, like I said, I had this light bulb moment of, okay, what, what are we doing? Like, I'm, I'm really not making patients any better. Like I said, yeah, they, their labs look better, but they're not any better. And so I just kind of took it upon myself to take a deep dive in, in, in literature and, and not necessarily the standard uh, medical journals, because you're really not going to find it in there. But uh, as uh, as I begin to look into things, I begin to realize or question a lot of just the standard of care. Thinking, man, I I I don't know that that we've been doing this right. And so the more the more I looked into it, the more I realized how bad a job the standard you know medical care is doing, the standard healthcare. And so I really got into nutrition and just, you know, studied nutrition a lot. And, and unfortunately, we're not taught a lot of nutrition in medical school. I mean, most doctors know very little about nutrition. And I just started researching how to, how to get healthy um, and, and how to make people healthy. And what I found is much of the time that has nothing to do with prescribing medications. And so the more I've gotten into that, the more it's made me excited to be a doctor. I mean, I'm more excited now in my career than I've ever been because I've realized I can actually help people. I can get people off medications. I can reverse many of their chronic diseases, but it's through lifestyle. It's through a certain way of eating, through fasting, through, you know, different things like that. And it's, it's not through medication. Hmm. That's so interesting. Describe what a problem that can be personally for you. I mean, if you find something that works, but isn't necessarily included in the standard of care, isn't that a huge problem? Isn't that very risky for you in your career? Um, there is probably a little bit of, of liability uh, involved. I think you have to really educate the patient um, to, to kind of protect yourself from that. And you have to get the patient on board with what you're doing and you have to document, you know, Hey, you know, we, we discussed these options, you know, with, with the patient. So, so there's probably a, a, a little bit of, of liability risk just because you are going against a, a little bit of the standard of care. Um, where I find the biggest problem 
is with with specialists um, because patients, you know, they 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 want to trust their doctors, and so if they're getting conflicting uh, information, then uh, a lot of times they they don't know who to trust. For for example, um, you know, if if uh, if I'm recommending a certain type of a diet, so let's just say we're talking about a diabetic and I'm going to recommend a, a high fat, low carb diet. Um, and then they're going to go to their cardiologist and their cardiologist is going to say, well, that's, you know, that that's the worst kind of diet you could be on. Why, why would you want to do that? And then, mm. so the patient comes back to me and he says, well, my cardiologist told me not to do that. So, so I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that because he's the cardiologist and he knows more than you do. Um, so that, that's a little bit of a struggle. Um, most of the primary care doctors that I talk to, you know, about this stuff that I'm learning, they just, uh, some of them probably think I'm crazy. Some of them think it's interesting. Um, you know, and, and, but they're so entrenched in the way they've been practicing a lot of them you know, just aren't going to change much. Uh, you know, they, they don't really care. They're just going to do their thing. Um, every now and then, you know, we'll, we'll get some converts just like what happened to me, you know, to have the light bulb moment. And that's actually uh, one of my motivations in the podcast that I do is, is, you know, I want to educate the public and and educate my patients, but I also want to educate doctors about, Hey, there's, there's a better way to do things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, so it's more, it's more the specialist that, that becomes an issue. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've gotten phone calls from cardiologists that, Hey, why, uh, how come you don't like statin medications, which is cholesterol medications? How come you're wanting to take, you know, take these patients off? And so, you know, I have to have those discussions. Gotcha. So it just sounds like more disruptive or I guess like challenging to get people on board versus being like a risk for you personally. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. And it's confusing for the patients. Like I said, you know, cause they're, I'm telling them one thing. I'm like, Hey, we can, we can reverse your diabetes. We can, we can get you off these medications. And then they go to their specialist and you know, they get conflicting messages. And so it's, it's confusing for the patients. Gotcha. And it's also difficult in, in the model with the time that you have, right? Like, like for me, I'm a trainer. And so I get to see somebody for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour, whatever they want to do. And that could be once a week, twice a week, you know, four times a week, whatever th- that person wants to do. And so I have tons of time that I can spend answering questions. You know, I'm counting to 12 poorly, according to most of my clients, but I'm, I'm counting, you know, reps and, and designing programs. But I, I can also, you know, talk about diet and shoot ideas back and forth for an hour every single week for as many weeks as that person wants to train. And that's not necessarily the time that you get with your patients. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm currently in corporate medicine and, and what I mean by corporate medicine is, is I work for a big, uh, you know, big corporation. Most doctors do, uh, very few doctor family practice doctors today, you know, are in private practice. And even those that are, are still in the insurance model and, and in that model, really the only way to get ahead is they have to see volume. They have to see a whole lot of patients and especially in, in primary care, because we don't do a lot of surgeries and stuff that are kind of high dollar type procedures. And so we just have to see a lot of patients. Uh, and, and so, yes, the current model that I'm in, I mean, I'm, I'm allotted, uh, 20 minutes total 
for patients, but that also includes check-in time when the nurse is checking them in. So by the time I get in there, I mean, if I'm spending more than, you know, usually 10 minutes or so with the patient, then I'm running behind and, you know, so you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult, it's difficult to make a lot of changes in, in the current model that most primary care doctors are in. Mm, wow. That's really challenging. Um, was this the, the epiphany that you had, was this more related to your own personal fitness or was it more related to your patients? I know you said that you were seeing that your patients weren't getting better, but were you personally noticing anything with your own health? Um, I've always been pretty healthy. You know, I've always been into to fitness and, and working out. Um, I was, so to answer your question, I would say a little bit of both. I mean, I, uh, as I'm getting older, uh, I, I want to, to optimize my health. I want to stay healthy. And so I started researching a lot of this stuff for, for my own benefit, just again, to, to, to kind of, uh, optimize my health. Um, and, and so there was some of that. I didn't have any major health problems, but again, just wanted to be as healthy as I could. Uh, and then the fact that I just noticed again, that patients just really weren't getting any better doing this, the standard model of care. Mm. Let's break down some of the things that you discovered. What were parts of the epiphany? You mentioned nutrition. I'm sure exercise is part of that. What, what things did you learn that surprised you, I guess? Well, diet is, is the big one. Um, I mean, as I'm, I'm sure, you know, uh, you know, doing fitness and, and nutrition counseling that, you know, the standard American diet is, is probably one of the, the worst things that we, that we could do for people. Terrible. Um, but un unfortunately, I mean, that's still the way most people eat. And so just, just discovering, you know, all the, uh, just all the, uh, negative health effects that the standard American diet has. And so, uh, that was the first thing I really started studying a lot was nutrition. And then I discovered that if we get away from the standard American diet and, you know, it's, it's just completely opposite of what they've been recommending all these years. And of course, if you look at the traditional food guide pyramid, um, you know, they recommend, you know, these grains and, and, uh, uh, you know, carbohydrates and fruits and vegetables, you know, being on the bottom or the majority of, of, of your calories. And so we really need to flip that food pyramid upside down. And of course, uh, uh fats have been vilified all these years. Um, and so, uh, you know, I discovered that, that fats are not bad. And in fact, uh, for, for many people, I mean, I recommend a higher fat, lower carb type of a diet. Mm. And, you know, when we've been, uh, people have been inundated with this message for so many years that it's, it's just hard to switch their mindset. But when they grasp that concept, uh, man, they can just make huge strides in their health. So, yeah, so, so nutrition was, was a big one. And I realized also that uh, obviously the, the standard American diet makes people fat and it, it causes people to be insulin resistant, but it also causes so much inflammation uh, and which causes, you know, arthritis, which, which leads to uh, autoimmune disease. And so by cutting out a lot of the inflammatory type foods, we can 
we can get rid of, of, of pain and you know arthritis and again in many cases autoimmune disease and so the the power of nutrition was was probably the the biggest uh, um, discovery that I had and um, how much how far that can go in in treating chronic diseases hmm. okay hold on dr. Dennis now are you telling me that the healthy whole grain cereal that I have in my cupboard it says heart healthy right on the label <laughs> is not heart healthy it's not good for me uh, that would be correct <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I'm gonna have to throw it away. Um, when we talk about the standard American diet, what what is what are some of the features of the standard American diet? I, I kind of just imagine wandering through the middle part of, I guess, a grocery store and just looking at the aisles. And again, there's all these things that are screaming at me, telling me that they're healthy, but they seem like they come in boxes and bags and cans. And I, I mean, what are, what are some of the components of the the standard American diet that we were told? we needed to eat besides the grains and the fruits and vegetables and all that other stuff. Like what, what things make up the standard American diet, make it so bad for us? Yeah. Well, the, the grains are a big one. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the grains of today are not the grains of, you know, uh, yesterday, if you will. Um, that's a but, great point. Yeah, so, that's a really, really good point. Yeah. So, so, yeah, grain grains are terrible, and and you just said it. I mean, the the things you know that that say uh, you know the, the the oats and the cereals, the Cheerios, you know that say heart healthy. Um, they they are not heart healthy, um, and so all of these things. And I know we both uh, interviewed Doctor Bickman. He's the best. Uh, he's the yeah, best. He's, he's he's fantastic. But you know, and and he studied insulin and the effects of insulin on chronic illnesses. Um, and so what people need to understand is that, you know, a lot of these carbohydrates, whether, whether they're quote, good, good carbohydrates. Okay. Um, they increase insulin. Okay. Now, if you're an athlete and, and, um, you know, you exercise a lot, that may be okay. Uh, unfortunately that's not a lot of what I see. And there's a very, uh, high percentage of, uh, uh people, especially, uh, you know, in my patient population that are insulin resistant. And so whether they're eating good carbs, bad carbs, whatever, it's increasing their insulin. And so what we're seeing today is um, a, a chronic um, high insulin levels, which is, is leading to the, uh, you know, a lot of the chronic health problems as Dr. Bickman pointed out. And so um, to, to answer your question, all the things that are supposed heart healthy, unfortunately, um, you know, a, a lot of them are on that list of, of their carbohydrates that you know, in, increase insulin levels and even, even fruits. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that all fruits are bad and you should never eat fruits, but I, I think fruits are um, a little bit deceiving and, and uh, you know, we've, put that message out that you know, we need so many uh, servings of fruits each day and everybody thinks that fruits are healthy and that's not necessarily the case. Uh, you know, fruits raise insulin and in some cases fruits are even worse. I mean, they have to be uh, converted in the liver um, and uh, you know, fruits, fruits can really increase your insulin. And uh, one, one of the doctors um, described fruits as nutritional porn, 
Um, <laughs> and, and, and I love that because they, they look really enticing, but you know, can, can do a lot of, uh, can do a lot of damage. Mm. So, um, so yeah. Uh, and, and you know, the, the things that have been deemed not heart healthy, of course, are the, the fats and saturated fats and, and, uh, animal foods. And so what we're finding is those are the very things that probably can optimize health. Mm. And it's so hard to get that message out there that, um, you know, I would rather somebody eat full fat butter or lard than I would for them to eat, you know, a, a, a fat free cereal, you know, that's supposed heart healthy. Mm. I, I made a post about a year ago that I I didn't make many friends <laughs> with this post, but I talked about apples and there was a natural apple tree that was growing nearby and I showed, you know, the size of what this apple looked like. It was it was pretty small and the fruit itself was, you know, it was kind of sweet, it was a little bitter and after one, you know, you you eat one and that's you kind of get your fill of apples and I contrasted that with the apples that I can go buy at a major store and they come in this cellophane wrapping and they're softball sized and they're so sweet. Like they're really, really sweet. And I can only pick the apples off the tree for a month, month and a half, maybe. And then like goodbye apples, there's no more apples yet. I can walk into the store 365 days a year and I can buy one of those softball sized apples, which came from who knows where and sat in, who knows what silo for however long most apples are six months to a year old by the time you get to them. And most people we've just grown up with that. And so that's, that's what we think of as fruit. So, and you mentioned grains being something that we've modified fruits also are nothing like what they used to be. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I tell people this idea that, you know, we need fruits and vegetables 365 days a year that's preposterous. I mean, there's not very many areas in the world where you have access to fruits and most vegetables 365 days a year. And it's, I'm, especially I live in the Midwest. And so what I tell patients, I mean, it's, it's, we have pretty cold winters and, you know, I say, okay, look, even a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, how, how much fruit were people eating the month of December? I mean, they weren't eating fruit, you know, right. so, you know, we didn't have a Walmart. They couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't go 365 days a year and, and buy apples and oranges. Exactly like what you're saying. So yeah, this, this idea that we need, you know, X amount of servings of fruits and ve fruits and vegetables, 365 days a year is crazy. Mm. Yeah. I, I love that you brought up the location as well. I think there's some really interesting connections between you know, the vitamin D you get with the sunlight and how active you are and how most fruits and vegetables grow near the equator. And those people can still be healthy and eat more of the fruits and vegetables, but they are getting a lot of sunlight. They are getting a lot of activity and they can handle that really well where, you know, in, in the farther extremes of the planet, it's going to be a lot harder and availability again, is just, it's, it's not like you can go to the store and buy them in a, in a more natural setting. If they're not growing, you can't eat them. So the only other choice you have is to do what you said, find really nutrient dense animal products that you can have and get your fill of that because you're not going to get it all the time. Is that correct? Absolutely. Hmm. 
You mentioned saturated fat. That's the fat that is the most uh, villainized, has been villainized mm-hmm. from the beginning. We go back to the 1950s, 1960s. Dr. Ansel Keys first starts out by saying fat is bad for you. The connections between fat and heart attacks has never been established. So the attention turns to saturated fat. Can you tell me a little bit about why why that happened and, and what benefits we can get from eating, at, at least including some saturated fat in our diets? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm certainly not an expert on the history, but but I know you mentioned uh, Ansel Keys and and yeah, it started with him and his research, if you kind of dig into it a little bit deeper, was, was very flawed and he really cherry picked the data um, so, you know, he, he looked at quite a few different countries. Uh, I, I want to say it was 11, but I, like I said, I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've read that. I think it was 22 um, but, different, different countries that he had reliable, okay, okay. reliable yeah. data. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, the, the data that didn't fit with his narrative, he, he just left out, uh, and, and, you know, to, to fit with, uh, you know, what the message that he wanted to get out there. And so, um, you know, what, what's funny, I mentioned this in, in my fat burning lecture, which was one of my first podcasts, but, um, I have a graph that I, I, I show on a PowerPoint slide and, and people couldn't see it in my podcast, but, um, in the, in the 1970s, you, you know, it's a, it's a fairly flat line as far as the increased rates of obesity. And in the 1970s, right about the time they came out with, the food pyramid, which is when the government got involved in telling us how to eat. I mean, obesity rates just, I mean, it just starts going up. Um, but anyways, uh, it's just an interesting point there. Um, but, but yeah, so it was political. Um, also there was a lot of influence, um, you know, on the, the, the grain farmers and stuff. And, uh, when George McGovern, uh, came out and and he had the oh he he proposed this uh, idea of of eating uh, that you know fat fats were bad and that we should be getting all these grains and all this stuff and it just unfortunately it just kind of stuck uh, despite evidence to the contrary that you know, and now many, I say many people, uh, there's, there's unfortunately still a lot that kind of live in the dark, but there are more and more people realizing that how flawed that data was and that fats aren't necessarily the enemy. So, uh, so saturated fats, especially, um, I mean, we know now, it sounds like, you know, that they, they, a do not make people fat B, um, they're, they're not going to adversely affect your cholesterol and that's a whole nother topic. Um, but, and they're, when you, when you eat natural, uh, uh, animal fats or saturated fats, they're very satiating. And so, uh, and, and fats do so much in our body. Um, you know, we, um, cholesterol again has been vilified, but cholesterol has served so many purposes in the body. And so when we take away fat, specifically saturated fat, not only are we going to be hungrier, which is going to lead us to eat more of, you know, what I call the crap carbs. Um, but we're not getting a lot of that good nutrition, um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, we can get from, from fats. 
Mm, I love that. I want to highlight a few of the things you talked about. And first and foremost, I, I have to tell the listeners, like, if you have to stop this podcast right now, do it and go to FitRx and look up the two-part series that you did, Dr. Dennis, talking about fat burning. That was an absolute clinic. <laughs> I couldn't have said any of that better myself. You did an amazing job telling well, people how to burn fat. So please, listener, go and and listen to that series of podcasts. They're about, what, 35, 40 minutes each, and yep, they're, yep. they're masterfully done. That was such a great explanation on what most people want to do, which is burn fat. <laughs> They've got too much. Well, they don't like it. It jiggles. And they, they want it gone. And that is a fuel source. That is energy that is on the body that can be used and gotten rid of. And most people are seeking that. They think they want to lose weight, but they really just want to burn fat. And so you did such an amazing job highlighting how to, how to do that. And so for the listener, FitRx, that podcast, two-part series, go hit that up. If you have to come back to this later, go and do that because that's incredible. Um, you did a really nice job with that. Um, I want to say also that just for the listener, if you're confused about what saturated fat is, a really easy way to know and identify what saturated fat is, is saturated fat would, will generally be solid at room temperature. If you cook, you know, a little bit of bacon and leave the pan out, you know, you come back an hour later, you'll notice that it's kind of solidified. That is what a saturated fat is. And that means that that fat is really stable. It can be reused. It can be cooked again. Grandma always had that can of bacon fat that she would cook with on the stove. And don't, don't you, don't you think that so many people look at a steak and look at the fat and think like, Oh oh my God, there's so many calories. I can't eat that many calories. And there's so much fat and the fat is going to make me fat. And so they avoid those foods and go towards what they think is healthy, which is maybe like a salad or like pasta or something. But then they're always hungry. They're never, they're never, Satiate. I love that you use that word because satiation is such a different word than than fullness. I can get full on a plate of a salad with some chicken breast, but in two or three hours, I'm going to be starving. And that is very different than satiation. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and I think we need to get away from calorie counting. And what I tell patients all the time is we just need to change the fuel. Um, you know, so, so change the type of fuel that you're eating. So more fats, less carbs. And so don't worry so much about calorie counting. Cause I don't really think that's, uh, got us anywhere or helped us out much. Um, but it's more just about, uh, changing what we're eating. Mm, I absolutely love that. We get questions all the time about fasting and something that you mm-hmm. have already mentioned. It's a practice that I love, but a lot of people, they want to try fasting, but they're so hungry all the time. What are some steps that people need to implement to prepare to even attempt fasting without making it completely miserable for themselves? Yeah. And so fasting is one of those things. And, you know, you were asking me about all these things I've discovered, uh, you know, on my journey along this, you know, nutrition was one of them, but fasting I have discovered as a clinician is such a powerful tool. Uh, and what's nice about fasting is it's free and it can do so many things to heal the body. I mean, uh, I did a whole podcast on, on fasting where I interviewed somebody, but, uh, um, Jen Stevens, you know, is that right? That Jen Stevens. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah, she was great. But so, so, uh, 
you know, fasting can not only um, decrease your insulin levels, it can make your insulin work better, uh, meaning um, increase insulin sensitivity. Uh, it can decrease risks of cancer. It can just heal your gut. Uh, you know, so many things. Um, just a quick story. My, my dad, who's 80 years old, he's had gut problems for I don't know, 20 years. And of course he's seen gastroenterologists, he's seen specialists. And, and of course they put him on medications, nothing ever worked. Uh, he just continued to have, uh, you know, these, these gut issues. And the only thing that reversed that was when he started fasting. So he just does some intermittent fasting. And after 20 years, his gut problems went away. That's so amazing. fast, yeah, fasting is just e extremely powerful you know, not only for weight loss, but, but just for general health. And, and I fast, I'm a pretty lean guy. Um, and, and I intermittent fast just, just for the health benefits of it. But to your question, as far as getting started, you're right. I mean, uh, I have patients all the time say, well, I, you know, I can't fast. I get hangry. I, you know, get irritable, you know, blah, 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 blah. So start slow is what I say. So, um, so I tell people if, if you finish eating at seven or eight o'clock at night, which you should, uh, you should never eat right before you go to bed. If, if you feel like you need breakfast right away, extend that out a little bit and try not to eat until maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. So, uh, if you do that, you just went 10 hours. Okay. Um, and then once you get used to that, extend that out to, to noon. So if you eat at seven or eight o'clock at night, you skip breakfast, you don't eat till noon. You just went 16 hours. I mean, when, when I uh, tell people to fast for 16 hours, they, that sounds like a long time, but if you're sleeping, you just skip one meal. You just went 16 hours. So that's a really good place to get started. Um, and I tell, I tell people to do that, you know, two, three, four times a week. I mean, you can do it every day if you want, but especially getting started, just do that some. And then I, I really encourage once your body gets used to that, uh, then once a week, do a 24 hour fast or close to it. Again, you just got to kind of ease into it. Don't just jump into, to an extended fast. Um, but, uh, ease into it. And then I also recommend people, uh, maybe quarterly to do what I call an extended fast, which is about 72 hours. Uh, again, don't start off with that, but as you're used to these shorter fasts and as you get used to these 24 hour fasts, well, occasionally try try a longer fast. I mean, you just get so many health benefits from it. I love that. That's really great advice. I think that most people, if they really think about it, they're actually not terribly hungry in the morning. And so I think that's a really great place to start. I'm glad you brought that up. Rather than try to do it you know, at night or try to force it, just start in the morning. Do it when you wake up and you know, maybe you're a little hungry, but maybe maybe you can kick the can down the road a few hours and you'll be fine. And that's a, that's a really great place to start. And I, I agree. I think benefits of fasting for even 16 hours a day, and then you can eat, you know, however many calories you want to eat in the time window that you have, that's, that alone is super effective. So I think that's really great advice. And I love that you made it so easy for the listener to be able to start. I, I think I, I totally agree with you. I think it's one of the most beneficial practices for health and body fat control and so many other things. Um, so I'm really glad you brought that up. What have you noticed with the people that do the more extended fast with the 72 hours? Aren't they, do they get multipliers, higher uh, hunger levels for every day that they fast? Like is day two 
two times worse than day one? Is day three, three times worse than day one? Like what, what have you noticed with people that go long? Well, um, I don't have a lot of people, unfortunately, that take me up on that extended fast. Um, but, but the ones I know who have done it will say that, uh, day two, day two seems to be the hardest day three is, is, is not so bad. And I've even had some actually a good friend of mine did a five day, uh, water fast, you know, meaning nothing but water. Um, he did really well up until about that, that fifth day where he was just kind of feeling weak. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think the day, um, well, you know what? It, it seems to kind of vary. I mean, I, I, some people will say once they get through that first 24 hours, it's pretty easy. And then I've had others say, yeah, kind of the, you know, that towards the end of that second day gets a little rough. So I don't know. It, it tends to kind of vary a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that second day for most people is the hardest. I had a client once who was trying to lose weight and he was doing weekday fast. And so he would drink coffee and he'd drink water, but for the most part, he wouldn't eat. And the second day would be the hardest, but he would come in and strength train on Friday, like five days into eating next to no calories. And his strength would be like off the charts. It's so counterintuitive. You'd think he'd be Mm -hmm. crawling in, you know, and not being able to do anything, but his energy levels were so high because the body was accessing the fat that was already there. And that's what, what people don't understand is the difference between eating less calories, which drops your metabolic rate versus not eating or fasting or trying a ketogenic diet where your metabolism actually increases. I mean, I noticed that so many times over the years when I would actually measure people's metabolisms and the people that had low ones would do diets and the people that had high metabolisms would, would leverage fasting or, you know, low carbohydrate diets. And they saw amazing results. It was way cool to see. hundred percent. Yeah. And I I talked about that in my fat burning uh, lecture that, yeah, you know, that's why I'm not a fan of the low calorie diet. Um, you know, because just, just as you said, it, it decreases your, um, your metabolic rate basically. Whereas, Ironically enough, fasting does not do that, but when you eat the lower calorie, it does. Yep. Yeah, totally so counterintuitive. I want to go back to your practice. You described doing corporate practice. Um, your wife does something different. Um, so she's doing yes. direct primary care. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so direct primary care is kind of a unique concept. Um, it's kind of going back to the the good old days. Um, and so uh, we get out of the the insurance model of healthcare. And so people pay a monthly membership and uh, I tell people it's like a gym membership. So you pay monthly membership and it's very reasonable. And, and then you can see your doctor as often as you want. Uh, You can text your doctor. So if you have a rash, you text it to them and say, Hey, what do you think? And so a lot of times you don't even need to come into the office and uh, you know, the, the doctor will say, Hey, I'll, I'll call you out of steroid cream or whatever. Uh, so, and you, you take out all the middle people. So the, the patient is paying you this monthly fee. And so if they need labs, then we get labs at, at cost. And a lot of times we even dispense medications out of the office that we're giving the patient at, at cost because we're not pharmacists. So we're not trying to make money on medications. We're not trying to make money on labs. Uh, and, and so patients can really save a lot of money kind of the ideal scenario in in a direct primary care setting is somebody has a high deductible or catastrophic type plan, which we always encourage because if somebody has a car wreck and has to be in the ICU for a month, I mean, you want some kind of catastrophic plan. 
So you have that, and then you use your your monthly fee uh, for direct primary care for you know everything else, and that should take care of the majority of your healthcare needs. Uh, you know where your where your primary care, where your urgent care, uh, you know all that stuff. So within that model of care, the idea is that you can take better care of a smaller population of people rather than like what I'm doing now of, you know, I've got 37, 3,700 people and in a direct primary care setting, a lot of times we cap out at 500 or 600. So you get to know your patients a little bit better and you're not seeing 20, 25, 30 people a day, you know, a, a busy day for my wife might be eight patients a day. So you can spend an hour with your patients talking about nutrition and all these things that, that we've talked about. And so it's, it's just a little bit more, um, you know, intimate, uh, with your patients, you get to know your patients a little bit better. So it's a, it's a pretty cool way to practice. That's super interesting. Uh, oftentimes in podcasts, my favorite episodes are where couples work together and they interview each other and you interviewed your wife, which was my favorite episode. And that's saying a lot because I love all of your episodes. They're really great. But the one that you did with your wife was super interesting. And you guys described what the difference was in the day in the life of, of each of you. And you've kind of described, you know, how many patients you have to see and what your day looks like. What does her day look like by contrast? Yeah. So, um, one, she gets to make her own schedule. Uh, you know, it's her business. And, uh, so she, um, I think she, uh, she allows an hour for each patient and now she may not spend a full hour, but she has a full hour. And so if a patient is complicated, you have the time to do that. Where, as in my setting, if I have a complicated patient, I mean, it's going to throw the whole, my whole day off. Uh, and so uh, again, a, a busy day for her might be eight people, you know, busy day for me is 25 people, you know, 30 people, something like that. Wow. Uh, so interesting. Is it, is it financially viable for both of you to be doing the same thing? Like, is that, is that putting all of your eggs into one basket, so to speak, or, um, did, will, will you guys be able to pull that off? Well, there's no doubt that, uh, I'll take, we'll take a little bit of a hit. Um, you know, so, uh, I'm, I'm moving over to, to the direct primary care model, uh, after the first of the year. And, you know, one of the nice things about corporate medicine, uh, as you know, it's got a lot of flaws, but I do get a good salary. And so, uh, leaving that and kind of going out on our own, we'll take a hit initially, but, we're looking forward to, to, you know, opportunities in the future and we'll see. Uh, I mean, so yeah, I mean, we'll be fine, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be different. Well, I, I'm so glad you guys are doing it. I, I, I think it's such a cool leap of faith and I think it's the right thing to do. And I, for one, am just, I'm thrilled that you guys are doing it and sending that example. So good for you for taking the risk. Um, I, I, I love the concept and I think that's a really great way for us to move forward and kind of change the system a little bit. So, um, it's a, it's a great, it's a great way to change the system. And it's, you know, a lot of doctors are hesitant to do it because they have what we call golden handcuffs, um, which is, you know, they're in corporate medicine like myself. And again, they get paid pretty well and, and it, it's hard to leave all that. It is. I mean, they have the security of a, of a good salary job with benefits. Um, but there are more and more doctors getting frustrated, you know, with the system and especially people like myself 
who kind of go a little bit against the grain uh, in the way that I like to practice, this model just fits what I like to do a little bit better. I see what you did there against the grain. I see what you did there. That was good. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, on the uh, cover of your podcast, we see you and you're not like flexing or anything and you've got a shirt on, but you can see your veins have veins. And you mentioned that you were a pretty uh, in shape dude and pretty lean. What do you do for your workouts? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've always enjoyed working out. Um, I've done a little bit of everything over the years. Um, now I do just kind of traditional weightlifting a couple of times a week. I am involved in CrossFit. Um, I don't do CrossFit every day. I'm, uh, an aging athlete. Uh, and so CrossFit's kind of on me to do regularly, but, but I do like that occasional hit type of a workout and I like the variety. So, um, I, um, I work out again, traditional weightlifting, probably two to three times a week, maybe do CrossFit one to two days a week. Um, if it's a pretty day outside on the weekend, I may go for a short little two to three mile run. And then I do other crazy stuff like, um, you know, getting the cold pool. Uh, matter of fact, I was just in it right before I, I got on with you. I love I'm surprised that. I wasn't, I'm surprised I wasn't shivering. Uh, I think cause I only stayed in about uh, three minutes. A lot of times when I'm in five, I'm just like shaking uncontrollably for about 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but, uh, and I've got a sauna, so I, you know, I get in the sauna, I get in the cold pool. I do the all kind of crazy stuff just to kind of keep my body fat down. So yeah, a little bit of, a little bit of everything. I love that. That's great. And there's a lot of descriptions on what you do in your podcast. Why did you decide to start a podcast? Why was that important to you? Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, I really want to get the message out to my patients. And, you know, I mentioned I have, you know, a large number of patients right now in my panel. And I just felt like that because I only have five or 10 minutes with them, if I could just get my message out, uh, and, and, um, you know, in a podcast would be a good way to do that. So, uh, so that was number one. Now, I don't know how many of them listen to my podcast, but I know there are some, um, and then number two, as I mentioned before, I really want to educate physicians. And now again, I don't know how many physicians listen to my podcast. There may be none, but I really just want to get the message out there that there's other ways of doing things, um, that are, that are better for the patients. And again, it's, it's, uh, once I discovered all this, it's kind of reinvigorated my career and my excitement about medicine that I can actually help people. And so I want other physicians to have that aha moment. And so I hope that there will be some that listen to my podcast that, you know, just begin to, um, you know, start researching on their own so that they can figure out a better way to, to go out practicing medicine. Mm. I love that. I, you've, you've brought this up a few times, but I just, I can tell there's a sense of passion and joy that comes from actually being able to do what you set out to do in the beginning, which is help people. <laughs> and I, I, just, I love that. I love that. It, it sounds like you wake up and you're excited to go to work every single day because you know, you're going to be able to help people. You're creating this podcast that helps people and people are listening and doctors will listen. And, and it's, it, it, this is how we change it. This is what we need to do. And so I, I really love and respect that you have done that besides the interview with your wife, which we know is your favorite for sure. What, what has been your favorite podcast interview that you've done so far? 
Oh man. Um, you know, I really enjoy talking about health and fitness. And so I've enjoyed talking, you know, to, to all these kind of experts in the field. Um, you know, probably Dr. Bickman was, was one of my favorites, just the research that he does and, you know, his take on high insulin levels. And most of us think about insulin levels just as it relates to diabetes, but how this chronic high insulin levels leads to so many other chronic diseases, Alzheimer's disease, arthritis, and all those things. And so uh, I just, I think his research is fascinating and, and that's probably been one of my favorites. I agree. He's, he's such a good dude. I'm so grateful for him and his work and that both of us were able to um, capture his message. I'm so glad also, I, I told you this before we did this interview, I'm so glad that you talked to him about immunity especially in 2020 where everybody's so concerned about Mm -hmm. immunity. That was a wonderful interview. And it was, it was cool. He talked about the mechanisms behind insulin resistance and immunity, not just the comorbidities that associate with um, immunity. And so I, I really love that interview. I'm glad you went there with him. Um, Any, any teases for the future? Any guests you've got lined up that you're super excited about? Um, let me see. Um, I'm, I'm getting ready to talk to somebody about some, uh, wearables. Uh, in fact, it's whoop. Oh, uh, I was just familiar? researching that. That's cool. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it, it can give you some, um, some data, actual uh, quantifiable data to see like how, how well you're sleeping. Uh, I've actually got one on right now, but uh, you know, and it breaks down your sleep, like the amount of REM sleep, the amount of deep sleep, but also track something called heart rate variability, which has been shown to, you know, kind of be a, a sign of overall health and, and readiness. And so how hard you should work out that day. So it gives you some, some interesting data on yourself. And so um, yeah, I've got that coming up. And, awesome. um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have one coming up on, I, I briefly mentioned cholesterol and that's a whole big topic. Uh, and, and so I'm going to have a, a, an expert cardiologist, you know, talk about cholesterol and dispel a lot of the common myths about cholesterol, you know, cause a lot of people, that's their first question. When I advocate this higher fat type of a diet, they're like, well, what about my cholesterol? Yep. And, you know, I'll usually say, well, what about your cholesterol? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. So. Wow, I love that. That's great. We'll look forward to those. We've already shared a few guests. Um, we've got Jen Stevens lined up as well. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. she's great. Yes, yeah, I'm super excited for that. That's going to be great. What makes you optimistic about the future? We've had a pretty tumultuous year. What What makes you excited for where we go from here? Yeah, well, um, you know, pe- people like like you, uh, that are getting the word out about getting people healthy. I think that if nothing else, this, uh, this pandemic that we've been in has been, um, has made people realize how unhealthy this country is. Um, and they, they should have known that before, but it's really been kind of a black eye and, uh, you know, in in that realization. And so I'm hoping that, the message that we're getting out there is, is going to make people um, just think more about their health and that that's really how we're going to beat a pandemic is to get our society healthier. And, and so that's what I'm hopeful for. And that's what I'm going to keep preaching. That message is, is let's get everybody healthier and then not, not to diminish, you know, COVID and, and, and all that, but if we get everybody healthier, then it's not quite 
as big of a deal. Hmm. I love that. I love that people like you are sharing your message. It's something that you had to go out and pursue yourself. It's something that you had to study yourself, but you didn't keep it to yourself and you're actively sharing it with your patients and you're sharing it on your podcast and it's making a difference and you're right. This is where we have to start. And so I yeah. really appreciate you and your work and everything that you bring into the table. It's, it's really great. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I'd really like to encourage people to, um, you know, do, do their own research. And, you know, when, when, when you go to your doctor now, listen, doctors aren't bad people and they're well-meaning and they're just doing what they were taught as far as, you know, if they're prescribing you medicines, I mean, that's just what they're taught. Uh, again, they're well-meaning, but do your own research. You don't have to take everything your doctor says as gospel. Um, it's your body. And so, you know, just, um, research it and, and, uh, you know, do, do what's best for your own body is what I would say. That's fantastic advice. We always ask our guests to leave the listener with one simple thing that they can plug and play into their lives right now. Is that the thing that you would recommend to them? One simple takeaway. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I asked the same thing on my podcast and, um, yes, I, I would say, and I would just, um, go a little bit further on that is, and, and listen, I'm a doctor saying this, but I think too many people rely on, uh, the healthcare system to make them better. And I will say that the healthcare system is not set up to make you healthier. The healthcare system is set up to make money. It's a money-making machine. Um, and so I, I want people don't rely on your doctor to make you healthy. Now they can be a coach and, and they can hopefully guide you in the right direction. Um, just somebody like myself who says, look, you need to start eating this way. You need to start fasting. You need to do this. But I think too many people rely on doctors and they think that medicines are, are going to cure them. And rarely is that the case. And so don't rely so much on medicine and your doctors, but um, start thinking a different way and do your own research and realize that, that most of the time um, the answer is not in healthcare, but it's in just, um, you know, wellness and, um, you know, all the things that we've been talking about. I love that. That's great advice. Where can people go if they want to connect with you? Yeah. So, um, my, as you mentioned, my, my podcast is fit RX, F I T R X with Dr. Greg Dennis. And, uh, you know, we talk all about health and wellness. Um, if you are in the Oklahoma area, um, we, uh, my clinic, I'm getting, my wife is there now and I'm going to be there shortly is vibrant life. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about direct primary care. That website is vibrant life DC as it stands for direct care. So vibrant life DC.com. Um, or you can email me, Dr. Greg at vibrant life DC.com. And yeah, that's it. That's awesome. Well, like we said, Dr. Dennis, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for doing the research that you've done and being willing to share that with us today, with your patients, with your podcast and everything that you bring to the table. It's, it's really necessary and needed. And we're really grateful for you and your work. 
Oh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Awesome. And this has been another episode of Balanced 